Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles doesn't so much provide brainless enjoyment as it pummels the viewer into submission. Shell-shocked is a reasonable description of the experience. That's from James Bardinelli, veteran critic. Great blurb of Real Views. We're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which is our new movie this week. Uh, also, the old movie, I can't wait to talk about Rocky IV. I'll tell you why we're doing it and how enjoyable the rewatch was. And as far as our wild card, yes, at long last, Michael Sarah and also the director of that new film. Now, the reason why I got to get this out of the way, the disclaimer, which is very important, is that we interviewed Michael Sarah a while back. This was long before the uh, current strike, which has engulfed all of Hollywood. So I know how people are aware of these things, but they're not actually available to talk with the media and such. So that's why this uh, interview was pre-recorded. So his new movie is called The Adults. Once again, we interviewed Michael Cera. This was during Tribeca. He and the director of this new film, which you should check it out, lighthearted family drama, which is coming out. And again, Michael was terrific. Talked to him about Arrested Development. Uh, it's an entertaining interview. And he's obviously a great guy because he's a fellow Canadian. So look forward to that coming up here momentarily. As always, appreciate you supporting all of us here on Cinephile. Please go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Chris and I both back. Chris, I'm sure was working, but he was just actually here in Nashville for a wedding. Wow, one of your wife's friends there. So talk to me about Nashville, Music City. I just talked about George Jones. He said, you think of George Jones, you think of your dad, George and Tammy, terrific miniseries. Was there any George Jones memorabilia, perhaps, you ran into there in Nashville? Every, every, every bar has, like, you know, uh, on the side of it, a mural with all, like, the, like the classic country people painted so you saw a bunch of nice. uh, you know like the merle haggard i don't know which one's which honestly i know one of them's no, merle ha haggard one of them's waylon jennings like i know the names <laughs> but i wasn't able to actually pick out which one was specific whatever but so yeah i saw them all i, I honestly love nashville i love live music um yeah. you know country's not my favorite music so it's you know but my wife white women love nashville yeah. that's the consensus that I took away from it. So many people pedaling around on these bikes. Have you seen these things? Have you been no, there? No, I'm confused. I, I was with you on the white women loving Nashville. And you're right. It is the capital bachelorette parties. Every time I've ever heard about Nashville, it's a bunch of women going there for a wedding. But go they, ahead. Tell me what the they bikes. have these little things. It's 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 eight people on the side of it and they're pedaling as if they're moving but it's a vehicle being driven by some guy in the middle. And it's like they drink while they're doing it. It's like a pedal around town drink. It's like what all the bachelorette parties do. They they rent one of these things and they listen to music. They're driving around town like everyone's taking videos of them. And I'm telling you, you can't go 20 feet without seeing. There's hundreds of these things are going wow. around town. And, and what's the actual name of it? We're just calling it the peddler. I, I don't I'd have to look it up. I'll, I'll look it up yeah. at some point and we'll get back to this maybe. But it's all right, no problem. We'll, it's we'll peddling, get to it's, yeah. it's peddling. Pedal Nashville, Ped Nashville. That's not what it is. But, you no, know, I, I, Claire's going to listen. She's going to text me. You're like, listen, trust me. As, as a, a gal there from Nashville and Tennessee, everyone's aware of this phenomenon. Fun By weekend. the way, Claire texted me. She loved your uh, question you made about Michael Shannon. You said, is he great or is he just weird? She thought <laughs> we, 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 I said, are you, that, that's your takeaway? She said, yeah. I was like, we, we could make them into a side with that. Certain actors, are they great or are they just weird? Right. And we can debate Michael Shannon, which I'm going to say no. Michael Shannon is legitimately great. So that's the first one out of the way. Hopefully next time we'll get a vote for weird coming up here. <laughs> I like that as a segment. I'm back from Toronto. I had a great time seeing my folks. Got to a Jays game. Shout out to Dan Shulman. Thank you for the tickets. Went and saw some tennis. Shout out to my boy Puffy and his wife, Tanya. Fantastic. I mean, with tennis, you don't know who you're going to see. You're just going to go to the Thursday night session. And then you go, wait, it's Carlos Alcaraz. This guy's the best player in the world. He'd just be joking. Wibbling. This is incredible. So it was a really good time for, uh, obviously, me and my wife. Excuse me, me, my mom, my kids. My mom's a huge tennis fan. My dad had a great time at the beach. It was great. It was great to be back. And, of course, Canadian Delicacies. 
coffee crisp ketchup go. chips all day long and of course some tim hortons french vanilla you have confirmation i want to close this loop uh it's called the nashville there's there's a bunch of them there's nashville pedal tavern because you can drink while you're doing this there's yeah. downtown nashville pedal pedal pontoon boat cruise it's all these things they, they call them different things you pedal around town you drink while you're doing it they play music and you're having the time of your life even though you're sitting in downtown traffic while doing it wow okay I, I, this is quite the phenomenon. People you, listening people who know it. Nashville are going to go, this is a big thing. Oh, people, if you've been to Nashville, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're all over. And there's extreme ones, too. There's like tractor. You can be pulled by a tractor, an actual tractor pulling just like a big bed of hay. And people God. are like sitting on the hay drinking. Like It's just like different ways to drink. And it's yeah. like we can go to the bar and listen to music and drink. We can pedal around town on a, on a, on a bay of hay. Is it a bay of hay? Whatever it is. I'm not a, sure. Bales of hay? A bale of hay? Whatever. But, no, but like you said, it's a place that white women love to get after it. Oh, they love it. Like a single Chris Cody could I have mean, done some damage there. <laughs> I mean, it, it's too <laughs> overwhelming, honestly. I wouldn't even know what to do. I, I, it's honestly great to be there with a wife because you can just kind of, you're old now and you're just like, to be young here. Like, you know what I mean? I'm too old. Like, these kids are all, like, college age. Like, so it's not really my scene anymore, but it's just one of these things you kind of look from afar and you're just like, there's yeah. there's a lot of debauchery going on here. Yeah, which I appreciate. I'm always in favor of debauchery. By the way, speaking of debauchery, Winning Time has now returned to HBO next week on the podcast. Edon Ravine, who is the producer of the show, he's got some great stories about the show and John C. Riley, and especially the cast. Quincy Isaiah's Magic, Salman Houston's Criminal Jabbar, Adrian Brody's Pat Riley. So that is coming up uh, next week, by the way, on Cinephile. Um, I just aside for here before we get into the movies, my man Stugatz and I, of course, share a birthday. He texted me the other day. He says, is there any way you can get me Miles Teller's number? He said, apparently you have it. And I was like, uh, I don't know what this is about. He goes, can I give you a call a little bit? I said, sure. So God said, I don't talk on the phone. As you know, I hate talking on the phone. Right. So even even I was offended. That he goes, can I talk to him? I'm like, no, no, can't we just do this over text? Like, either I have the number or I don't have the number. We can do this. Right. But he calls, and obviously he's a great guy. And it was we'd just oh, been our birthday. Half hour nice conversation? A half hour, yeah. It was I was going to say, you can't, you can't get Stugatz no, off the phone. No, and, I, and thank God I timed it as I was driving home, which takes me 35 minutes. So I, I pulled up and I was like, right, I just got home and I got it. Oh, okay. And then it's still another five minutes, but at least it, the, it was the, a good goodbye is always five minutes. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I budgeted and it was around 35 minutes. Um, but essentially, he was just trying to tell me one about that. And I was like, I don't understand. He goes, I was at Tahoe and then I golfed with him and he goes, he lit up when he saw Golik. I said, of course, Miles, like me, is an Eagles fan. He's like, yeah, Eagles. And, and he's of that age, like 90s Eagles. Like, I was like, oh, my God, Reggie White, Clyde Simmons, all that stuff, Eric Allen. So he goes, we were just just having a blast. But Golick is very awkward about asking guys for their number. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, he's just not he's just not thinking about it. I said, he's uncomfortable with it? He goes, I don't know. I just, I don't, like, he He has a half an hour conversation. And Miles Teller is just all over him and is asking him 100 questions. You have to, at the end, Stu Gatz goes, in my mind, say, by the way, can I get your number? Because we'd like to have you on the podcast sometime. God bless football, et cetera. I said, but I don't think Mike's thinking that. Mike's yeah, just like because Mike's a normal human, not trying to make every interaction about what can you do for me. <laughs> correct. I think it's just Miles Teller's a big Eagles fan. Hey, I like Top Gun. Whiplash was great. Nice meeting you. Moving on. Yeah. So he's out on goal, like not getting the number. And I said, so now you want me to do the dirty work. And to get the number and just just basically see if he'll do God bless football. That that's what you want. <laughs> and I love there's a little detail you threw in there. I want to make I want to like really pin you down on this. Did Sugat say that he played golf with Miles Teller in Tahoe specifically, or he just like I'm met trying, him? I'm trying to remember, he definitely said he chatted up. I don't know if he said played with me. He was chatting us up. Okay. I, I remember I was in Tahoe. I, re I was in Tahoe. I was with Golik, and 
Miles wouldn't stop chatting up McCoy. I love the idea of Stugatz enhancing what he actually interacted with yes. him in Tahoe to make you feel more comfortable about giving the number. Like, oh, correct. If he was like, I went to dinner with him in Tahoe, you're like, oh, okay, he went to dinner with him, so he probably correct. is fine with him at. But Stugatz probably had like a three minute interaction with him in Tahoe. Yeah, that's a very good point. He's trying to well, make that's it why. seem to you like he had this real connection with him. Yeah, and I said if I, if I get you the number, I go, I don't to make this clear. I go, you shouldn't text him. If you just go, hey, it's Stugatz. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's not going to know. Right. If I can do this, Golik, he Golik has to text from his number. Hey, it's Mike Golik yeah. of the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. <laughs> Just want to check in. Would you like to come on my podcast? And then Miles will say yes. yes. If it's Stugatz, he's not going to know who the hell is. Right. With all respect. I think I love Stugatz, but Miles yeah. Teller's not going to know who the hell he is. Stugatz, if he texts, has to put Golik in like the first sentence. Hey, it's Mike Without Golik's question. friend, Stugatz from Tahoe. <laughs> 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 we had a three-minute interaction. <laughs> Correct. It's not even the first It's the first word. It's Mike Golik. This is Mike Golik's friend, Stugatz. This is. We'll allow this is before Mike Golik. Yeah. Like, put it in capitals. <laughs> underline it. Bold and maybe of a chance. A mile. So if, you get, friend. <laughs> if at some point this fall you hear Miles Teller on God Bless Football, you can know it was your boy Vert. So you uh, got him the number? I, I can't give that detail yet. I'm working on it. <laughs> like I said, let's let's give it a little tease here. Let's actually see if because because yeah. what happens if I get him the number and he doesn't go on the pod? People are gonna think Miles is a jerk. Let's wait and see if Stu actually gets him, and then I'll, I can confirm I, whether or not I got the number. I was hoping on one of your Wednesday segments with Samson we could like call Stu Gots out on a lie. Like that's why where I was really asking the follow up about whether he played he with him or not. Him. Like if because if yeah. he made a big deal to you where you were a thousand percent sure he said that, we could then yeah. on the show on Wednesday be like, did you actually play with him or were you just saying no, that? I, I may not have heard. Of he he definitely <laughs> said I was in Tahoe and I was golfing okay. and Teller was. Talking to Golik. That, okay. That's probably the way he said. It. I don't think he actually made it sound like okay. he didn't go into detail. Like, oh, there was a sand wedge, and I, I was giving him tips, and he birdied on twelve. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't going to that. It extent. is such a great view into the mind of Stugatz, though, of just like how he, his mind is always, how do I get this guy's number? Like the whole time Correct. he's talking to him, he's not making an actual connection with anybody. He's just thinking, can I have your number? Can you come on my <laughs> podcast? <laughs> Hundred percent. You at highest, least. Yeah. I actually give you credit when you meet somebody really famous. You're genuinely happy to meet them, and then yeah. you also want to see maybe if you could get them on your podcast. Right, but it, but, like, I, but I'm nervous about doing it. Sometimes I won't do it. Like Michael right. Keaton, I couldn't do it. I was so happy to meet him. Right. We talked a few minutes. And I go, I can't ask him for his number. I don't want to ruin this experience. Exactly. It was a pleasure to meet you. You have that and sense it, at least. Like you yeah, have the I, little narcissism in you where it's like, I, I, this guy could help me, but you at least yeah, read the room. Yeah, Stugatz read doesn't the room. read the room. No, he's just like, we're going for it. Like, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> and we're then we draw on buddies with Tony Baselli. I'm like, hey, but that's not going to work here. Like, I don't like that. Works we're genuinely friends. Miles and I, we're good friends. Good buddies. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk some movies, shall we? Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. The film follows the Turtle Brothers as they work to earn the love of New York City while facing down an army of mutants. And the big shock here is, as you're about to watch the movie, you see Seth Rogen's face. That's right. Seth Rogen co-wrote it along with his longtime writing partner, Evan Goldberg. So at the very least, I have good expectations because Seth Rogen's involved. Fellow Canadian, like him, funny. And I'm sure he was high while writing the script. But I'm going to be honest, the movie's a disappointment. I, I loved Ninja Turtles as a kid. My, my cousin Imran, huge Ninja Turtles guy. Oh, my God. Like we all have our favorites, right? I, it makes you realize that Seth Rogen, it makes sense that he would do this because anybody who came up with this idea has to do a lot of drugs. Like who, who was sitting around one day and said, okay, what animal can we do? Uh, rat? We'll have a rat. Rat's involved. Okay, rat is splinter. Okay, no, rat, shredder, sure, whatever. Something like that. Yeah. And we're going to have four turtles. And uh, just for the critics, we'll have them based on like Renaissance artists. We'll have Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello. That's good. With different colors because kids like different colors, purple, red, whatever. Okay, bandanas. They fight. They love pizza. Pizza. Kids love pizza. That's yeah. pretty good. All right. Yeah. Like, and then 
And then it'll just put it together. That's it. They're just they're mutants and they're ninja turtles. Because people, kids like fighting. They like martial arts. They like Bruce Lee. Yeah. So we're going to have ninjas, which are cool for kids. Turtles, which I'm not sure are cool for kids, but we'll, we'll make it work. We'll make them Because cool. it's different. Yeah. And then we get pizza. And uh, we'll get a big catchphrase, cowabunga. And all of a sudden, it's going to work. And somehow, the Ninja Turtles were a craze in the 90s. I myself among those that loved it. But I must admit, the retread is nothing special. It's fairly predictable. Uh, I thought the animation was kind of crude. I, I wouldn't say it was you know, particularly notable. I just thought it was crude and a little bit unusual at times. Again, great voice cast. Uh, the likes of John Cena, Rose Byrne, Ice Cube, Giancarlo Esposito. I didn't particularly like Ice Cube. As soon as he showed up as Superfly, I didn't like him. Paul Rudd's in the movie, Jackie Chan. Of course, Rogan voicing as well. But uh, as far as retreads and remakes go, I would rather just watch the original Ninja Turtles. This wasn't really anything particularly special in this one. So I agree with James's review. I give it two beliefs. It's honestly they're a rare miss for Seth Rogen. Like, did you feel that writing at all in there? Or was it like kind of odd and didn't no. even feel like something that they were a part of? Yeah, you just nailed it with the latter. I never once was like, oh, that's like a Seth Rogen type joke or something. Yeah. I mean, Evan Goldberg do it. I'm like, no, this is like the same. Board. You can't really think of things on their resume that's like, that's not good. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? They, I mean, I know it's a, it's a weird swing for them. I guess it's, you know, different. But even <laughs> Sausage Party, you're like, all right, this Stop. feels like a Seth <laughs> right. Rogen joint. There's a giant orgy at the end. I'm like, yeah, this is something that Seth Rogen wrote. I'm like, yeah. 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 Sausage Party, which I watched in uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So the Little League World Series. There was nothing to do there. I was there for ESPN for baseball tonight. So I'd be working from like five until midnight. And then during the day, there's nothing there. It's ridiculous. Unless you want to go watch Little League Baseball. Like so it was just though. like, 1231 o'clock movie. There's one movie theater. Carl Roberts is like, there's one movie theater. Adnan's going to be there every day. So I'm like, what do they got? I'm like, I'll go see Sausage Party. That's fine. 10 bucks to go see Sausage Let's Party. Let's go. I did yeah. enjoy it for what it was. Uh, by the way, this is the end we're talking about later on with Michael Sarah, speaking of Seth Rogen and great comedies. Um, and just as an aside, you know, our, our friend Laura Brandt, who is uh, the talent booker extraordinaire here, she had asked me, do you want to talk to Michael Orr? He's got a new book out. Of course, his life inspired the hit movie, The Blind Side. I said, sure. I'm not sure if you've seen them. I'm sure you yeah, have now. Big news. This stunning story coming out of Wait, what? Michael Orr got screwed by the people who adopted him. This feel-good movie, which won Sandra Bullock an Oscar, apparently was not the way it happened. They didn't adopt him. It was a conservatorship. So basically, they get a cut of all his earnings, 2.5% of the movie, which made hundreds of million dollars, and he got bupkis. And apparently, conservatorship still goes on, and he just found out about this year. Unbelievable story from the blind side. Where are the positive conservatorships? Like, yes. All, all you hear about are the ones where people want out. Like, I need some examples of where people are in them and like, this is great. I'm glad to be here. You're right. Britney in a conservatorship. Like, it like, just has a negative connotation. Give me a news story out there where there's one celebrity who's like, I'm really happy to be in this conservatorship. I signed yeah. this when I was 18 and now it's it's worked out great for me. Like, no, like, <sighs> I think we should just get rid of these things. These things don't seem to, right. like, what are these things? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they're the problem here. Michael Orr is not the problem. Britney Spears is not right. the problem. What are these things? Someone explain them yeah. to me. <laughs> A ban on conservatorships. If Chris <laughs> like, Cody took over, which I could totally appreciate and support. All right, our old movie this week. Before we get to Michael Sarah and the director of his new film, it's Rocky Four. So the jumping off point. Me and Samson last week we were talking about favorite underdog sports movies, and his list was useless as always. And I built up to having Rocky as number one. Which up until then, Levitar was crushing my list, saying it was terrible. I'm like, no, you just haven't seen enough movies. There's this great Paul Giamatti wrestling movie called Win Win, which is on my list. So what happens is this. I'm giving my list, and I realize you have to kind of play to the room. Because if I was playing to like a mass audience, they may not like my list. If I was playing to a cinephile audience, they would like the list. But I'm playing specifically to the Levitar show, yes. which if Cody's not there, is literally Jessica, Tony, 
yeah. Stugatz, Amin, Mike Ryan. Like of that right. group, Mike Ryan will be more into movies like me. Yeah. Uh, Billy's not going to jive with my taste. Like I'm no. like, I, I, I'm, I'm fighting the room. So I'm like, you guys don't know these movies. Right. So I've now realized on my list, I'm like, well, I'll put the movies that my audience would know and that I actually like, which is win-win, which, which Samson did know. He's like, no, I, although he tried to chirp me like, oh, that's just one of these indie movies that no one's heard of. I go, no, it's actually a great movie. Bobby Cannavale, Jeffrey Tambor, et cetera. But I have to end big. Because I have yeah. to at least try to win the room. So Levitard's like, oh, this list sucks. I didn't like, okay, you know, I'm going to win. Rocky's number one. So at the very least, I win. So I, I, I always beat Samson. And then after this, I was talking. Yeah, so was like, yeah, because that's, that's, that's his list wins. He was like, my list would have been Rocky, Rocky two, Rocky three, Rocky four, which got me to thinking. I hadn't seen Rocky four in a long time. Oh. And my eldest boy, Yusuf, had said, he's, I don't know if he's seen all the Rockies or he's, maybe he saw one the other day. And I go, but have you seen Rocky four? He goes, oh, I got, I'm going to record it. We're going to watch it together. I go, this movie's unbelievable. This is, and I know Rocky is not, he's a middleweight, but this is the heavyweight champion of movies so bad that they're good. That's what Rocky Four is. When someone says to me, and I often get asked this question as a highbrow critic, as a man who enjoys the shape of water or three billboards, that's Ebbing, Missouri, as a man who's seen The Irishman three times in movie theaters. And while on vacation, because my dad has Netflix and not much else, I started watching The Irishman again. They go, okay, okay, enough of the good movies. Yeah. Like, what's the crappy movie you like? And I go, Rocky Four. Uh, I, I'll watch Rocky Four anytime it's on. So I hadn't seen it in a long time. I'm surprised it's 1985, as Chris has shown me here in the Wrath. I thought it was 87, but it's, it's been a long time. It was seven years old when I saw it. I am the story is this. Yeah. yeah, Rocky Balboa proudly holds the World Heavyweight Boxing Championship, but a new challenger has stepped forward. Drago, a six foot four, 261 pound fighter, was the backing of the Soviet Union. Not only did Stallone star in it, he wrote it and he directed it. As a writer, of course, he wrote Rocky, you know, Oscar winning movie for, for best picture. Clearly, he's got to be a good writer, right? Well, this is just schlock at its best. So it, the story kicks off in Apollo. You know, they're talking smack a little bit when they when they when they punch as they're sparring the freeze frame and then the dissolve. Like That is such an 80s move. Yeah. It's such a move with Stallone. Later on, he's going to freeze frame, which still scares the bejesus out of me, because it's when you first see Drago kind of throw down the cardboard cutter of Apollo. It's like dun, 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 dun. the foreboding music. Oh, God, now I'm back seven years old again, terrified of this crazy yeah. Russian. But. What, what first makes you realize this movie is ridiculous is the robot. There's this robot in the movie that shows up. It's Polly's robot. Polly's in love with robot. That's my girlfriend. She's cleaning up the house. I'm like, again, a very mid-80s thing to have like a life-size robot as your friend, helper, conveyor, conversationalist. With AI upon us, it's perhaps time to be talking about this. But what I love about Rocky Four is just, again, how cheesy and silly it is. The whole concept of Drago is amazing. It's like, we're going to get Dolph Lundgren. Who, again, used to say, how tall is this guy? I looked it up. I think he is 6'4". In the movie, you think he's 6'10". Like, he's gigantic and just fearsome and terrifying. And Apollo Creed is totally channeling Ali. You know, he's talking smack at the press conference. They're going to have an exhibition match. And he's going he's gonna to teach this fool a lesson. But he starts to get pissed because one of Drago's representatives, you know, he starts talking smacks and insulting us. Of course, his wife, very attractive, Bridget Nielsen, who I believe was Stallone's wife at one point. Maybe I'm wrong on that. She's very upset with what Drago's saying. And then later on, they have this scene where we're basically, you know, Rocky's trying to tell Carl Weathers, this is Paul Creed, like, are you sure this is a good idea? And he's like, listen, man, this is all I got. Like, I'm, I've been a fighter. I've always been a fighter. I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. He's like, yeah, but you're old now. You're not who you once were. He's like, yeah, whatever. I'm a, a very cliched point of a once a fighter, always a fighter. Okay, got that. Then we get to the fight, which is just ridiculous. First of all, there's no like ring announcement for Drago. It just picks up with Drago already in the ring. <laughs> that this announcement. <laughs> it just makes no sense. And also the the the, <laughs> the roof starts to open up and he's like just staring, looking around like he's like caught like in a science fiction movie. Like, what's happening right now? And then James Brown, that's right, the James Brown already sweating away as the godfather of soul starts performing Living in America. 
And leading leading the group is Apollo Creed wearing like an Uncle Sam hat. And he's got like, you know, the magicians twirl. I'm like, this is such a ridiculous scene. To be Are you play. rooting against him the first time you're watching this? Because now at this point, you've watched it so much that you know what happens in that scene. Like it yeah. was such an obnoxious entrance that the first time you're watching it. Are you saying to yourself, I want him to lose this? Because yeah, I think so the first ridiculous. time I watched it, I was a little kid. And I just said, OK, this guy's. I wouldn't even know what pompous and arrogant meant. I just thought he was funny and silly. But now watching it, I'm like, no, this guy's pompous and arrogant. I'm cheering for the Russian to just cold yes. cock this guy. Like, this is just so ridiculous what he's doing. So you got the big, the big ridiculous celebration. And then you get to the actual fight. And the best part of this is Tony Burton, who plays Duke. Now, he, by the way, American actor and boxer, he's playing the trainer. So at one point, you know, Paul is starting to get roughed up a little bit because he's just dancing most of the time. But then... You know, a couple of shots here by Draghi, realize he's in trouble. And he realized this is a real fight. This isn't just like an exhibition match. And he says in a very dramatic and amusing moment, I mean, it's unintentionally amusing. He tells Rocky, no matter what, do not throw in the towel. Yeah. Once a fighter, always a fighter, you know, ding, ding. Okay, let's go. And he's just getting his ass kicked. There's no way. I, I've been watching fights my whole life. Right. There's no way this fight wouldn't get called off. First of all, his hands aren't even protecting his fist. One of the biggest things as a fighter, if the hands are protecting and it's clean shots, the, the ref, well, that's it. We're calling the fight. He takes at least seven punches that are completely <laughs> exposed. And Draco's just destroying him. The worst officiating. Is that right. your take? It's just worst horrible officiating. officiating. <laughs> worst officiating I've ever seen in my life. Like Larry Merchant would be appalled if he's watching this. Jim Lampley. <laughs> so eventually you get the fatal shot. And like the, 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 the cutaways are just hysterical because as he's getting pummeled, this is one of my favorite parts. Tony Burton is Dukes is, and he's about as sweaty as James Brown. You're cutting from, you're cutting from Carl Weathers, wife. So Paul's like, looks horrified. You're seeing Stallone who's concerned. And then you got Ugh. this very sweaty Duke. Who's like, Throw in the towel! <laughs> and then you go again, he repeats the shots. So you go back to the wife looking scared, Back to the pummeling, back to Stallone. Stallone's always like, (laughs) and then back to Tony Brown for the second time, drenched more in sweat. Throw the damn towel I'm cracking up with laughter. And then the fatal shot literally kills him. The punch comes, Apollo goes down, they storm the crowd. The first thing Rocky is saying is, can someone get a doctor? A man just got killed, and there's no doctor. They, they have 100 members of the media are in the ring. They have fans in the ring. They don't have one doctor. Someone gonna die. Now the scene's continuing. Okay, people are looking around. What's happening? Oh, my God. Incredible. I'm at Panamonium. Still no doctor. 36. Get away. Can't get a doctor. Unbelievable. And obviously, he's dead because the next scene dissolves to a funeral. Like, holy crap. Exhibition match. Apollo's dead. Then you get to more unintentional comedy where Stallone is talking to his wife, played by the great Tony Oh, it's Shire. a great scene. Come on. I mean, That's she's in goosebumps. The Godfather, for God's sakes. And she's telling him, and this is, I mean, Yusuf, I've been saying this all week, the scene where she's telling him, like, why do this? Because now he wants to fight Drago. He wants to avenge Apollo. It's the same conversation that Rocky had with Apollo. It's just like, right. I'm a fighter. <laughs> no, that's the best line. She goes, why? And he turns, he goes, because I'm a fighter. I'm like, yes, I'm already pumping my fist laughing. Like now we're getting it. And then the best line, she's pissed. You know, the, the harried housewife, what a cliche that is. And she pauses. She goes, you can't win. I'm like, yeah. yes, he's, he's, he's getting dogged by his own wife. He's like, I'm out of here. Oh. There's a ridiculous, it's literally a music video. He's in the car driving and it's just a four minute song and it's the best of Rocky. And you get the, the great homoeroticism of the scene of Rocky and Apollo running on the beach together. Yeah. And then in slow motion, splashing in the water together. These two muscled up men wearing these like Dan and Billy recreated that a few years ago. <laughs> 
that like that was like that was a grid again. of death. I'll send that to you later. It was a grid, of death, a grid of, death. Like a grid of death punishment. Like an all-time height of homoeroticism of those two guys in that movie. And then Rocky, it's literally, you know, there's no easy way out. Yeah. This cheesy 80s song for four minutes of him just driving fast. Like the directing's ridiculous. Close-up of still home, close up on the gear shift, going back to Rocky One, Rocky Two, he's fighting. I'm like, all right, this is just like a hype video. So he goes out to Russia. And this is this is again, I'm not going to do the whole movie, but this is the other sequence that I love, which is the montage, the training montage where Drago is just clearly using science, a, a treadmill at like a 20 incline. <laughs> he's he's running an indoor circuit. You know, he's just he's punching a machine, which gauges your punching power. And then, they, by the way, before they get to that, they have the press conference where Rocky says they're going to fight on Christmas. They're like, what? Why does and in the Soviet Union makes no sense? Why would he agree to a fight in the Soviet Union on Christmas? But whatever, I'm going to do it. He grows a beard. He's in the middle of nowhere. It's surrounded by communists. He's got a couple of KGB officers. It's him. It's Duke. And it's Polly. Polly Monis, the robot. And he's going to get into big old training shape. So Drago is doing all these science methods. But we have this great juxtaposition. Rocky is a man of the elements. He's growing a beard. He puts a log over his back. He's in the snow. He's going up and down. He's climbing mountains. He's in the water. He's skipping rope. Again, he's growing facial hair. He looks angry. And then Talia Shire shows up. And oh, my God. She said to him, you can't win. They have their moment of reconciliation in the snow. And then the movie gets jacked up right to an 11. And you say, can this get any cheesier, any more entertaining, any more ridiculous? Yes, it can with the song Hearts on Fire. Now I'm like, okay, now you're fist pumping. You're, you are ready to go, particularly this one shot. The montage is going. You see a close-up of a needle glistening. You go, oh, my God, he's on steroids. He's a juicer. That goes into Drago's bicep. You see him punching again. And then you have the one of the funniest shots ever, a newspaper cutout of Drago, which is in the mirror. Rocky, the, the camera is a close-up of it. He crumples the picture and it's a close-up, zooms into his face in the mirror as the music crescendos to, ha, it's on fire. <laughs> the next shot is of his crew in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> you shoot have Delia Shire and Polly and Duke in a wheelbarrow. And he's like, lifting a wheelbarrow. Like, he's going to win the fight. Why? Why? Because he's lifting a freaking wheelbarrow. Yes. It's got hay and three of his closest people in that thing. He's going to win. All-time ridiculous montage, which then closes with this. He's running in the snow. The KGB is falling. A couple of communist guys. He just takes off. They're like, what? <laughs> he just starts running. He just took it. They smash the so they can't catch him. What does he do? He runs up a mountain. Yeah. He runs up an entire mountain and gets the top. <laughs> Drago! And then you're going to have the big climactic fight. It, it is just epic entertainment. So bad. It's so good. So then you get the fight, and you know where this is going to go. I'm and, watching it right now, actually. I yeah. had it on while we were doing yeah. this. Like it's the and, big, and again, it's, the amount of times that he's not protecting himself, it's ridiculous. And he's just getting smoked. They're just clean shots by Drago. But then the tide starts to turn, and Drago says he's not human. You know, He's like a piece of iron. Oh, my God. The villain is now showing respect for the hero. And then the ultimate travesty, which is a crowd of Russians at the height of the Cold War starts cheering for Rocky. Like the, 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 the height yeah. of impossibility. <laughs> These Soviets who despise America are like, no way. They're sharing for the underdog. Rocky, Rocky. And you get one of the Russian comrades goes up and slaps Drago. Like, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to be winning. And then he just hurls the guy down. Y'all see me on. I do it for me. Bridget Nielsen watching. 
just horrible. Um, eventually, you get Rocky winning, which you're going to have. Literally, then, as you're saying it, he's winning right now. I'm literally, yeah, he just threw then, up his arm. I just got goosebumps because you're talking through it right. as I'm watching it on mute. Hey, look, oh. look at how bad his reaction is. After he wins, he's just so exhausted. He doesn't even give like the jump up. He just does like a turn. He yeah. does like a 360 turn, and that's it. I'm done. He's just so, so yeah. exhausted. And you get the all-time, so bad it's good, speech. He gives a speech to all of Russia. He's trying to unite all of all of the world. We got to come together. I don't even know what it is. I'm just <laughs> if like, I can do it, you can do it. I mean, it's ridiculous. So uh, ridiculous. And yet so ridiculous. Now I'm hugging Adrian. You said I Rocky couldn't four. win. <laughs> I'm giving it three and a half Maple Leafs. Think about that. Rocky Four. So ridiculous. It's great. Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. Stallone creates credible villains worthy of his heroic character. Really? A credit? I, Drago's like a superhero, but yeah, whatever you say, supervillain. I'll, I'll agree with you. Sheila Benson, Los Angeles Times. This is grim and witless storytelling. What makes it so depressing? It hasn't improved by so much as a chemical trace since the days of the first Rocky. Wow. Boo. And Jay Boyer of Orlando Sentinel. The new film's narrative is stripped down to essentials, which gives an emblematic quality. It is essentials. It's essential viewing, especially if you want a ridiculous watch. That is Rocky Four should have Stu Gotson to talk about Rocky. We'll get him on another bio. He's he's as big a Rocky fan as it gets. Now it's time for Michael Sarah and the director of the new film, The Adults. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that seventy-five percent of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Real pleasure bringing Michael Sarah and Dustin Guy DeFay. The new film is called The Adults. It's terrific. It's funny. It's dramatic. Uh, Michael plays a lead character who goes back home, rekindles his relationship with his siblings, his sisters. Yeah, it goes a little up and down. Also plays a little poker games. That yeah, kind of goes up and down. But it's a really good movie. It's funny and it's entertaining. And it's a pleasure to welcome these two guys in here right now. Michael, first and foremost, I'm a huge fan. Obviously, we're going to talk about the development a little bit later on. But I had no idea you were sitting on such a good Tony Soprano impression. Thanks for unveiling that in the movie. I don't think I could do it if I was tasked to do that today. I was just, I had been just watching The Sopranos, so it was very, it was very... But you're very good at impressions. Heart. You think? Yeah, well, you, you, I mean, I don't know how much you practice them, but you have, you know, you're David Lynch and you're um, uh, the, the Jinx. Uh. Oh, Robert Durst? Yeah. Yeah, see, again, I, I, I've lost that. <laughs> I have lost them, them, I have them for like a win, a moment. 
Yeah. And then they go. Well, when we we had the March Simpson in the movie, he does the March <laughs> Simpson, but we were trying to find that person. And I said, yeah. I said to you, do a Mr. Rogers, and you yeah. you figured it out so quickly. Really? Yeah. You went. Well, you, it went from George. It sounded like George Bush Senior for a moment, <laughs> and then and then got to Mr. Rogers, and you did it like oh, within a minute. Funny. Yeah. So you're pretty good in That's great. I'll take that. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> well, speaking of Tony Soprano <laughs> and Robert Durst, you're excellent playing killers. That's one thing we know about Michael. Sarah. Yeah. Um, Michael, it feels like oftentimes when you're talking to the characters that play your sisters. It feels like you're out living, like those funny voices and different characters and stuff. How much of that was on the page and how much of that became organic? It's all very scripted and very, cool. you know, very, very clearly and specifically written, you know, by Dustin. Um, Dustin's an amazing writer. Um, you know, I mean, as far as the, the voices that you mentioned, we kind of all developed those, you know, in rehearsing together to kind of find where those kind of would sit, you know, where each of those characters would would live and and then be specific you know distinct in and of itself but um no but we didn't really ad lib or invent things on the spot other than you know just the feeling of what was going on but it was very well written yeah to the writing i mean there's one scene dustin where again michael's talking with his sisters he's like when did you change when did you become mean you know it used to be funny it used to be sarcastic it used to be sardonic now you're just now you're just mean and it really had a ring of authenticity to it it's a real delicate balance between drama and comedy how have you developed that ear for dialogue, which Michael's impressed by and I was impressed by as well? I mean, I've worked. I mean, I've just worked very hard on it. I mean, like it, it is a. I mean, I do consider screenwriting to be. You know, it, it is a craft, and you. I mean, for me, it's been a lot, a lot of years of working. But I also dialogue is the. You know, I'm. I do have sort of a affinity for it, and it. It is a strong suit of mine, I think. Um, but I've gotten bet. I mean, like I also feel like uh, I've tried to not make it as stilted as I think I've written things that have been stilted before. But I've I've tried very hard to like iron that out a little bit and make things more natural. But there's still like a literacy to it or something that I really just can't. Like I like I love words. I love language. So there is. It's sort of like me meeting like how to make my love of language meet something that feels natural yeah yeah not too written yeah not too written yeah because yeah i think i think before i've i've written things that feel very written and i i realized that if it's too written it's yeah. quite hard to act well i would like you know make a comparison uh to kenneth lonergan in a way you know who i know you yeah. love very much but yeah. um you know kenneth lonergan's writing is is um in and of itself this you know like very ornate and very alive piece that he's you know incredible at but then when you get to act it as an actor you know you do find that it feels very alive when you're doing it, it doesn't feel you know it, feel, yeah. it feels very real it feels very natural like it's it's kind of like a amazing knack to to write something that that actors can perform in a way that feels very very real and not you know forced yeah obviously mike you've worked in lonergan's plays and a couple of those obviously on stage so that makes sense you draw that Affinity. The Romero comp makes sense as well because these are articulate characters, intelligent characters, and it's something that I really enjoyed. Again, the adults in theaters August 18th. Michael Sarah has done many great things along the way. I don't think anything like ever top Arrested Development. It's I, I can't even say the line name without laughing as I'm seeing you because I just love the show so much. <laughs> what I wanted to ask you is that you know you have these great actors and you know adults in the room before everyone kind of blew up. Like obviously Arnett became a big deal. Jeffrey Tambor had been obviously a great actor a long time. Bateman. But like, how much investment did Mitch Hurwitz give you? Because I just imagine looking at that room, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the adults are talking, so to speak. And yet your character, who's a kid on the show, ends up being one of the funniest characters in the show and really had a strongly developed storyline. So my, my long-winded question is, how much development did you have with Mitch in making a character so unique and so funny? I mean, I was a kid when, you, like you said, I was 14. You know, so very, just so happy to be there with these people 
that I loved so much. And Mitch, you know, Mitch um, was really in my corner, like even before I had the part. I had done a, a TV show, a sitcom, a year before the pilot for Arrested Development that never went to air. It was a Fox multicam sitcom with Randy Quaid and Carol Kane playing my parents. And, um, you know, it just got killed. We did eight episodes and Fox never never aired it. They killed it. I'm not exactly sure why, just like a network thing. But Mitch Hurwitz had like seen the show somehow because he was working in a writer's room at the time and they got, you know, pilots for other shows like they had access to them and they had tapes and every day at lunch they would watch a pilot and he saw me in that and he you know kind of was aware of me for, and wanted me for for arrested development so when i first went to even read for this pilot with mitch he came into the room the very first time i met him i was just like i love this guy and he was so generous to me and so helpful i mean he kind of you know coached me how to, how to perform the material and you know find the rhythm and but with such support and so much uh, encouragement and guidance and you know i just love him so much and he's a very important guy in my life i mean i picture the time take your daughter work that you're coming out with a purse like there's just so many funny silly scenes yeah. in that show it's so exuberant but i don't think i ever laughed harder tambor is in the attic and there's a running joke about Anne not being attractive and he said there's my girlfriend and he just just stares quizzically and he kind of narrows his eyes and you go she's really funny he goes, well let's yeah. hope so i mean yeah. <laughs> Like, how, how, how brazen is that? You're literally mocking a teenage girl being attractive. Yeah, pretty vicious. Um, yeah, being around all those people, mm. Jeffrey and David Cross and Will Arnett and Jason and Tony Hale, I kind of, now I've kind of have to name everyone because I've named a few of them. But anyway, all of them was was incredible and so informative and so so formative for mm. myself and Allie who plays my cousin on the show. You know, we were just like in awe of these people and just, it was intimidating at times because they're all these like towering personalities of just brilliant people and you just want to belong. You just want to, mm. you just want to, you know, not be the dead weight and just get to be, just, it was great to just be around them, really. Well, it's great too, because obviously you've seen with Jason and Will, their podcast, Smartless, they've continued their friendship, being Canadian. That's what it's I like, you know, yeah. that's what it's like being around them. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, it, it's just nonstop. They're just like these bottomless, like sources of of, of humor and, and and comedy, and just the energy is like insane. And you're just like trying to keep up with them and just kind of stay out of the way. It's they're really just like that all the time. Yeah, I've interviewed Will a couple of times, and I told him I was born in Toronto by Griffin Kingston. He grew up like young in St. Clair. I believe you're from Brampton growing up. So yeah. we were trading the Canadian jokes, and Will said to me, he "Goes well, the biggest thing you can tell about Canadians is they inevitably start a story by saying a buddy of mine." Like every conversation we have, oh, a buddy of mine was telling me, a buddy of mine was doing this. <laughs> I realized, yeah, I get that actually a lot of the time. A buddy of mine said this, a buddy of mine said that. Um, how often do you get back to Canada? What do you miss? Ketchup chips, uh, coffee crisp, Tim Hortons, Zellers, Canadian Tire? What do you got? <laughs> Our compliments. Yeah, I mean, all of that. Max Milk. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I go back a couple times a year and see my, all my family is there. So, um, the other thing that Canadians do that Will and I would always laugh about is like Canadians always know when someone else, you know, is Canadian. Like if someone comes up in conversation, like if Neil Young comes up or something, a Canadian would not let that go by without going, he's Canadian. <laughs> That's 100% right. Robin Thicke once said that about his dad, Alan Thicke. He's like, yeah, hey, where's it go? That guy's Canadian. Like, yep. Drake, don't forget him. He's Canadian. Yeah. Couple more for you. Michael, how good a poker player are you? A lot of poker scenes than we. How good are you at poker? We both play. And um, he's better than me. I don't know if that's true. Do you I think, think you true? are. Yeah, I think you are. Sometimes I'm really good. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just like great, and I, everything goes right. But then other times you feel like you just have completely lost it. Yeah. And you're just 
your own worst enemy and you're just like torpedoing your own like Dustin, would you have any desire to be like in the World Series of Poker one day? I think I would have to train for. I mean, I would love to do it, but it would be You've a tra- you'd have to like though, yeah, I've been would... playing tournaments, but like yeah. that kind of yeah. But I would love one. to do a. I would love to do like a. It would be amazing to be in like a two or three day tournament. Mm-hmm. I would. Have you done anything like that? Mm-mm. I mean, I would love to do that, but I also understand that fun. like my I have to be like strong in order to stay strong. And you, you have, to... have to stay focused and like if you lose your focus, things start happening very quickly. Like yeah, and you could also get you could get knocked out on the first day. Sure, that'd be sad. Sure. That'd be sad. You'd put the yeah. time aside. Yeah, and you're like, I'm gonna okay, <laughs> book I'm the hotel. For three days. I got yeah. three days. I'm going, and then you're just out within yeah. 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 three hours later. You're done. That would be painful. <laughs> that would be painful. Last one for you, Michael. You mentioned great talent, and I just think that this is the end of that assemblage of comedic voices. And then you steal the movie because Michael Sarah is showing up with cocaine and just as being an absolute bore. How did that come about? Because it was a way we had not seen you before, and it was so scene stealingly funny. It was um, kind of great for me because um, everybody had already been shooting for you know several mm-hmm. weeks, and I was just coming off of a different movie I was doing. But the, the, the thing is that they had all been talking about me. You know, the, at this party, they'd been talking about this mythological you know version of me, and so when I came in, they told me everything that everybody had been saying about me, and that kind of created this like thing for me to embody. So, so that really kind of I mean, they really like laid the foundation for me to just be like, okay, I have to live up to. How weird they're yeah. saying I am. And I only worked like for a day or two or something on that. Just came in and did it and went to the casino a couple times in New Orleans with Craig Robinson playing blackjack. It was a very nice couple days. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, the Adults is a film, August 18th. Michael Sarah is the star of You Should All Go See It. Dustin Guy DeFay is the writer and director. Congratulations, fellas. A terrific movie and thanks for a fun conversation. Thanks. Thank you. Nice talking to you. I just want to point out that in that Michael Sierra interview, he talked about how Canadians, whenever they hear somebody in a conversation, they have to mention that they're Canadian. You did that with Seth Rogen earlier in this episode. <laughs> That's you, hilarious. <laughs> that is a Seth good Rogen, Canadian. Yeah, it's just it just has to be done. We're just we're so inferior as a country. And Canada, thirty five million. America, three hundred thirty million. But 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 Alan thinks Canadian. Okay, great. And every American like you just had no reaction. Like, okay, Seth Rogen's from Vancouver. Cool. <laughs> Moving on. I like the fact he makes funny movies. I like that you caught that observation. Uh-huh. Uh, thanks to Michael Sarah. Once again, check out his new film called The Adults. Ninja Turtles, Only Two Maple Leafs, Rocky Four, Three and a Half. Next week, winning time on HBO. We'll talk to the producer, Edon Ravine, and plenty more coming down the pike here on Cinephile. Thanks as always for listening. And I'll see you at the movies.